Hey everyone, it's Katie, and I am an elopement and intimate wedding photographer based in Los Angeles. I created this podcast as a resource for couples who are considering an elopement. If you'd like more information and some inspiration about eloping, you can visit runawaytogether.co. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Malachi, and he is a wedding photographer based in Western Colorado, and he knows quite a bit about the national park scene here in the U.S., and he's even photographed some elopements in national parks. So if eloping in a national park is something that interests you or you want to learn more about it, then I think you'll gain a lot from this episode. He also cares a lot about the environment and that comes across in the interview as well. So we also discuss just what to keep in mind um, when you are going into these beautiful spaces that are, are meant to be kept pretty pristine. I hope you enjoy. Let's hop right in. So my business name is Shell Creek Photography. And I live in Montrose in Western Colorado. And do you photograph elopements in that area? Do you kind of travel around those um, other states? I travel around uh, quite a bit, but I really like to um, focus on uh, serving this area since I know it a little better. Cool. I've never, I have been to Colorado, but I don't know that I've been to that specific part. So if we were to fly into a major airport like Denver, how long would it take you to get there? I live about five hours from Denver. Gotcha. I guess Colorado must be a fairly big state then. I mean, I know it is. Yeah, it is. And the mountains take, make travel time take a little longer. You and I have already been chatting a little bit, and you know that I really like this blog post that you wrote um, about how to elope in national parks, and it sounds like you've been to quite a few of them, or at least you have some knowledge of quite a few of them. So we are going to kind of walk through specific ones, but before that, I'm just kind of curious why you think eloping in a national park is a good idea. National parks a lot of times have very unique features. There's a lot of other public lands, uh, but the national parks are a lot of times land set aside that's a little more unique than maybe the national forest or something like that. Um, So you get really good, unique uh, views like that. There's also more amenities in the national parks. There's more likely to be uh, restrooms or places to get water, food, Uh, camping, things like that. There are those outside of the national parks. Uh, You just kind of have to know a little bit more um, of where you're going and what you're doing. Eloping in a national park is also a good idea because the fees for it do help um, support the national park. I guess that's a pretty good overview of why I think it's a good idea to elope in a national park. Yeah, I think that's a good point too. So I was going to ask you this a little bit later, but since I'm kind of curious now, when you are opting to elope in a national park, do you have to pay like an entrance fee and then permits on top of that? So each national park has their own set of rules. There's going to be an entrance fee for you, or if you have any guests, they don't uh, waive that. And there will be a fee for 
if you're having a ceremony in the national park or even if you're having a ceremony outside the national park and just taking photos in the national park. So there's different fees depending on what exactly you're planning in the national park. Sure. And then let's say that I was actually just talking to someone earlier about eloping in Joshua Tree National Park. So that's the only, that's the one I have the most knowledge of. But what is the, like, if you're just going in with a photographer, maybe an officiant and the couple, so that's four people and you're not going to do any kind of setup or anything, do you know roughly how much the permits cost? We could just say, what's the one closest to you, Rocky Mountain National Park? Yeah, Rocky Mountain National Park um, is the closest one to me or actually I guess arches would be closer since I'm so close to Utah but say for example so in Rocky Mountain National Park the fee there is currently $250 and each national park is going to vary a little bit in fees um, especially it especially depends on how popular they are for elopements and kind of the area they're located in um for example, Saguaro National Park in Arizona is one of the cheapest, has one of the cheapest uh, fees for ceremonies. I believe last I checked, they were at $100 for the fee there. So it really just kind of depends on the demand for the area. And since Rocky Mountain National Park is by a big city and is a very popular tourist attraction, the fees are a little higher there. That makes sense. Okay. And then I've been to several national parks around the U.S. and I think the entrance fee itself, so this is like separate from the permit required to get married and do photography and all that, but I think the entrance fee is usually between like 15 and 30. Is that in line with your experience? Yep, that's correct. And yeah, I find that the annual pass is really worth it for me. It's only $80 and it's good for all the national parks in the U.S. for one year. So since I go to a lot of national parks, um, that's really worth it for me. And a lot of the couples that I get to work with, they visit a lot of national parks. So a lot of times they tend to have that annual permit as well. I was going to mention that. Yeah, I think that that's even if you're planning on going to, let's say, three or four parks in the whole year, you, you'll get your money back easily. Um, but I think I also like what you said about obviously these prices are not very high at all, especially compared to if you had to rent a venue or something like that to get married. But I like what you said about it just going back into the park itself. I mean, someone needs to maintain it and it's protected. And there are like these gorgeous places all across the U.S. that um, it's a good thing to, you know, contribute to. Okay, so my next question was this idea of leave no trace. What does that mean in regards to national parks? Yeah, yep. So there's the seven principles of leave no trace. And those are plan ahead and prepare, travel and camp on durable surfaces, dispose of waste properly, leave what you find, minimize fire, minimize campfire impacts, respect wildlife, and be considerate of other visitors. And for each national park, leave no trace means things can mean things a little differently. For example, in Arches National Park, there is something called cryptobiotic soil. And you might think that it's just bare 
dirt ground, but that soil is extremely sensitive and it makes life in the desert possible uh, by holding in water, nutrients, uh, and keeping the dirt and sand from blowing away. Whereas someplace like Glacier National Park or Rocky Mountain National Park, the high alpine, uh, let's see, alpine meadows are very sensitive to foot traffic and there's a very short growing season for the wildflowers that grow there. Any kind of foot traffic can have a negative effect on them. Yeah, I think that's that's all really good information because I think that people aren't necessarily always mindful because, you know, whether it's a photographer or just some hikers, maybe they're like you mentioned in your blog post, maybe they're just not educated or they don't care and they might go off trail in sensitive areas like just for their photos and all that. So do you suggest or when you go into these national parks, are you staying on trails all the time and being careful like not to step on anything and things like that? Or what do we really need to know about being respectful of the spot? So the best thing to do is to educate yourself about the area or national park that you will be traveling to. Uh, You can't just claim ignorance like, oh, I didn't know any better. Um, You really need to take the time to educate yourself about what exactly is important to know about specific areas, to know about uh, what to do around wildlife or bears in certain areas, what to what kind of weather to prepare for and as far as staying on trails most of the time you're going Mm -hmm. to want to stay on the trail there's a few rare circumstances where you can go off trail in certain areas but the main thing is you want to travel on uh, durable surfaces and camp on durable surfaces Um, so you're not making new trails that are cutting across or, or new bear spots from camping that are going to cause more destruction and erosion. Totally. And I, I didn't even think about, I mean, I, I didn't think about safety in terms of wildlife, you know, it is probably important to know if there's rattlesnakes that you're going to, you know, step on, or if there's mountain lions or bears or whatever kind of wildlife is already there, just to kind of be aware of that in terms of not disturbing them, but then safety too. Have you ever come across any wild, like big wildlife in one of these parks? I've come across a lot of bears, a few moose, some elk, uh, even some porcupines. Interesting. Where, what kind of bears do you have in Colorado? In Colorado, we might have black bears. Gotcha. Anyway, I'm kind of curious about how how you know so much about like is this something you studied or do you just did you just have a great interest in nature and the outdoors I've always had an interest in the outdoors I growing up in Nebraska my parents would take me camping a lot Uh, we always be spending time outside and then once I got old enough to kind of start going out on my own I went out with friends to some different road trips, visited a whole bunch of different national parks, traveled across the country, around the world. I've always had really cared about the impact that I have on the environment. So following these seven principles of leave no trace have always been really important for me. 
I'm always curious about the area that I'm going to. So I always do a lot of research. I want to know about the plants and the animals, the weather, what can I expect? And then knowing all of this, um, kind of having it in mind will help me kind of to prepare, know what to expect, know what to do and what not to do. I'm curious if you're photographing couples from out of country, out of state, are they local to the national park or are they coming there from afar? I've had a pretty good mix of couples. Some of them are local to the area. Others are coming from out of state. Uh, I don't think I've worked with anyone coming from out of the country though. So what I like to do is kind of go over a brief overview of what to expect of various national parks if they're not familiar with the area. Some of the couples that I work with travel a lot and know the seven principles of leave no trace uh, very well. So I kind of cater it to each couple as to what their needs are. Now, I'm, cu- I'm curious when the best time to elope is. I know that it obviously is going to vary depending on where you go, but just in terms of are you going in early in the day? I know in the post that I read, you mentioned that national parks are closed on holidays. So when would you think the best time of year is to elope in a national park? If you can try to plan for the off-season or slow-season Um, For certain national parks, if possible, other national parks, if you're wanting to go where the roads are closed, you're obviously going to have to go when the busy season is because the roads get closed because of snow in the winter. I always suggest weekdays, usually middle of the week. It tends to be less busy um, and usually sunrise early morning is a good time of day if you want to try and avoid as many other people as possible. Do you ever, yes, I agree. So the sunrise is obviously pretty light because it's kind of soft and the sun's like night, not right above your head for photos and stuff like that. Do you, so you're saying sunset is maybe when things start to get a little bit more crowded, though the lighting is nice at that time of day. Uh, Yeah, sometimes Uh, there's especially one spot in Arches National Park that is very well known for sunsets and there can be 200 people surrounding this tiny little area uh, taking pictures of the sunset or just watching the sunset. Uh, But if you go there at sunrise, there may be only a dozen dedicated photographers there. Other places where you have to hike far into the National Park, sunset Mm -hmm. can be a good idea because a lot of the people are going to be heading back to the trailhead before sunset. But either way, a lot of times it may mean hiking in the dark. Um, So you want to be prepared with flashlights, headlamps, and things like that. And you want to know the trail really well as well. Good point. So are your couples that you're photographing staying inside the park or do they sometimes find hotels or Airbnbs that are just close by in the proximity of the park? It depends on the park. Some of the parks don't have lodging in the park. A lot of times they're staying in a lodge or Airbnb just outside or pretty close to the park. That makes sense. You made a good point about obviously popular places in popular parks having a lot of crowds during certain times of the day. 
So do you find that couples are wanting these kind of iconic spots or do you venture off to places that maybe are off the beaten track that maybe no one else really knows about? A lot of times the couples want a little more privacy. So instead of going to the classic popular locations, we'll try to find little hidden spots where there's less people. Other times we will go to these popular spots just for 10, 20 minutes to take a few photos um, to get the views they want and then have the rest of their day elsewhere. Cool. Yeah, that seems like a good compromise. I'm kind of, I think I agree with you on finding more of a quiet spot because, I mean, for a lot of people, I think they don't necessarily want onlookers or just people taking their picture when they're doing their wedding ceremony, stuff like that. But yeah, you can obviously still get some of those shots, but maybe not for the actual ceremony or where you want to do your vows and the more personal stuff. I would love to talk about some specific national parks because it sounds like you've been to a lot of them. Okay, so Rocky Mountain is the one that we've already talked about, and that's in Colorado. What would be, well, two questions. What would be like the airport or how do you get there? How do you fly into Rocky Mountain or drive, I guess? And then what are, what's like the scene? I I mean, I'm assuming it's very mountainous because it's in the Rocky Mountains. For Rocky Mountain National Park, you would probably be best flying into Denver and then renting a car uh, from the airport there and taking it. uh, So Rocky Mountain National Park is located northwest of Denver and getting to it that way. Okay, summer or winter, if you had to choose? Um, Both. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I would say that both seasons are really good um, just because there's still a lot of accessible locations, even in the winter. Um, But if you're really wanting to get up high um, or see wildflowers, um, go on the Trail Ridge Road, then I would recommend uh, Midsummer. Um, Okay, Rocky Mountain National Park. How about Yosemite? Yosemite is in Northern California, and I believe, is it San Francisco you could fly in from, or Reno, Nevada, maybe? Yeah, either of those are going to be pretty good airports to fly into, Um, and it's still going to be quite a drive. And I believe there is a smaller airport that's pretty close to Yosemite. I just, I don't remember the name of it. And it is more expensive to fly into that airport. And have you photographed an elopement there? Uh, Yes, I went, well, sort of. I photographed, went to a workshop there. Where inside Yosemite did you do your pictures? For photos, we went to the Yosemite Valley. Since we were there in February, some of the more iconic locations uh, like Glacier Point were closed unless you wanted to do a pretty intense hike up the mountain uh, because the snow closes the roads in the winter there. Is, Is all of Yosemite kind of mountains or are there some places where you can go if you're more into like streams and trees and stuff like that? Yeah, there's quite a variety in Yosemite. 
Um, the Yosemite Valley has a lot more trees. There's, there's redwoods there. There's places like Valley View that have more water, but have kind of the mountain views in the background. How would you suggest if a couple has never been to Yosemite, but they really want to go there, how would you suggest people find their spot? Are they, you know, would you recommend they go in beforehand and scope things out? Or are they just going to look online and pull reference photos? Or maybe you think, is that more of the photographer's job to scope stuff out? I think that as if you're going to be photographing elopements or especially specializing in elopements, um, it's important to offer a lot more planning, hands-on assistance uh, with certain things. So I actually recommend hiring a photographer as like the first vendor to hire, first person to hire for your elopement since they can help with finding other vendors, planning, giving recommendations on locations and the time of days, and they can really help with all of that. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Let's pop down to Arches National Park. This is in Utah, right? Yep. This is by Moab, Utah. What time of the year would you say is nice to go there? You probably do not want to go there in the summer. I would say from September through May is pretty nice. And winter can get a little cold, but it's not. Winter there isn't anything to be worried about. Have you been there to photograph a wedding? Uh, no, but I've traveled or photographed um, some adventure sessions and elopement just outside of national the Arches National Park there. Cool. So you know you've been there and you know the area, but what would you say is maybe your favorite area to go for pictures? We already kind of talked about the things you see on Instagram and stuff like the arches, but is there another spot that you really like in there? Well, there's a lot of BLM land around Arches National Park and in the greater Moab area. So there's such a huge variety of rock formations, rivers, rock towers, canyons. Um, Canyonlands is not too far from Arches, and that's another uh, great spot as well. And if I'm thinking of the right national park, it's that the rock formations kind of have that orangey, vibrant color, correct? Correct. Yep. The okay. orange and reds. And you mentioned a word that I didn't recognize, and now I forget what it was. B, it was like an abbreviation that you said, BLN or something like that? Oh, yes. Uh, BLM land. That stands for Bureau of Land Management. And those are public lands, usually not really marked with any signs. Some of the trails are a lot of times marked, uh, but a lot of times the land itself isn't necessarily marked. In the BLM land, a lot of times there are campgrounds there where you can stay for free. You don't have to pay anything. The BLM land is sometimes a lot cheaper to get a permit for, um, for elopements, and sometimes you don't even need a permit. Uh, it just depends on the local BLM land office and what they see as necessary. 
Interesting. Okay. And those are usually somewhere around the national parks or not necessarily? Not necessarily. Uh, it's just in around Moab. There happens to be a lot of it right around the national parks. Okay. Sounds good. And then let's see. Well, I'm actually very curious about the Grand Canyon. And I would think that you'll have the same advice to not necessarily go there in the summer. I just think there's a lot of other times where you'd be much more comfortable with the weather. But doesn't it get also pretty chilly there? I think, when did I go? I'm trying to remember the time of year. What month do you, if you had to pick one month, what would you say? I would say probably May or September. So like spring or fall, um, Mm -hmm. then you kind of avoid the cold and avoid the heat. Oh, I remember I was there at the end of April and it was honestly a little chilly, like not unbearably, but I think that once May rolls around, it would be a really nice temperature, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a I believe it's the North Rim there that closes or partially closes in the winter um, due to, you know, winter weather. Got it. Okay. Yes. That's another thing. A lot of these parks, actually, I don't know if a lot of them do, but I know that Grand Canyon has multiple entrances and multiple areas that you can explore. Once you get in, so let's say we enter through the Southern Rim and then you know, obviously what we picture with the Grand Canyon is those canyony spots. But from my experience, when I was there, there was a lot of people kind of everywhere. But once you get in there, do you kind of just drive around and find a spot that's not so populated with people? So a lot of the national parks have uh, designated ceremony areas. For example, in Grand Canyon National Park, there's designated ceremony areas. They have different fees for different areas. I believe uh, Shoshone Point is a very popular and very beautiful area. The permit for that area is $450, whereas the permits for other areas are uh, only $150. Hmm, interesting. Okay, good to know. And then, and are you talking about permits, even if it's just an elopement, like three or four people, or are you talking bigger stuff, like if you want to have a small wedding? They honestly don't really distinguish between like small elopements and weddings. So if you're having a ceremony in the park, they are going to charge you the same permit fees for that. If you are just taking photos in the park and not having a ceremony, then the permits and fees again are different. Even if you're just having a 10-minute ceremony is still counted as a ceremony as a wedding and they have different fees for that. Gotcha. So it's not really tiered or anything. It's just kind of a flat rate depending on what area you choose. Right. You kind of do have to pick a location before the actual wedding day so that you can get the proper permits and all that, right? Right. Right. Okay. Is that the same in all parks? You'd recommend picking the spot, not the day of, but just doing it ahead of time? Yeah. So when you are applying for the permit, they are usually going to ask you for what location did you have in mind and what date did you have in mind 
And are there any other locations that you are going to? So you need to put all of this information onto the permit when you are getting it to be approved for these areas. Okay, that makes sense. And you can just easily do this by going to, if you Google like Grand Canyon National Park and they have a website where you would go to directly, correct? Correct. And then if you look under their um, on our website, look under special use permits under whatever national park that you are looking at and all the information for permits for weddings or photography is going to be there. So just to clarify, is there a website that is just national parks in the U.S. or does each national park have its own separate website? So nps.gov is the, I guess, home website of the National Park Service. And from there, you can find a park and you can search parks by state and search for parks other different ways and then find the national parks from there and all the information there is connected. Okay, so we talked about Rocky Mountain, Yosemite, Arches, Grand Canyon, and there's several others that you talk about on this blog post, but are there any others that are like you really want to mention? I would say that Glacier National Park is my all-time favorite national park within the U.S. Oh, really? Glacier National Park is in northern Montana. It's right on the Canada border. Uh, You can actually cross the Canada border. You can hike over the Canada border over into Waterton National Park in Canada. The mountains there, the water features... The wildflowers there and the wildlife there is just amazing. Last time I went, I saw nine bears in one hour. (laughs) There's a lot of parts of Glacier National Park that are kind of remote and disconnected. So there's one main road that goes from one end of the park to the other. And then there's a lot of different other areas of the park where you have to go into separate entrances to get to these other areas. So there's a lot of areas there that you can go to kind of more get away from the crowds, which is what I really like about it. I'm wondering if a bride emailed you and said that she loved your pictures and she has Glacier National Park in mind for their elopement, but she is not necessarily super outdoorsy. Like maybe that doesn't make sense, but she likes the idea of all these nature pictures, but she doesn't necessarily want to go on like a two hour hike in her wedding dress. Do you think there's a a happy place for people who don't necessarily want to go on like a big old hike, but they still want to get these beautiful shots in the parks? Yeah, definitely. I think that an elopement isn't necessarily about Uh, the hiking or the scenery, um, but it's more about just a very intimate wedding of just the two of you or the two of you and a few guests. And so finding a location where it's not going to require a lot of hiking is relatively easy, especially in these national parks, because The roads through them make many areas very accessible. And you can also plan 
other activities for your elopement if you're not super big into hiking. Sure, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Is there anything else you want to add that I didn't already mention? One thing I could add about eloping in a national park is that you do have to be considerate of other visitors that are there. Even though you paid for a permit for a spot, it doesn't give you exclusive rights to that area. You may have to deal with guests, other guests visiting the area, and you just want to be respectful and not cause any unneeded trouble. (laughs) True. I mean, it is a public place and you don't, like you said, own the spot that you're getting married on or anything like that. And I feel like there's plenty plenty of space in those parks for, for to make room for everybody. So how can people find you online and get in touch? My website is shellcreekphoto.com. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram um, at shellcreekphoto and feel free to send me a message, shoot me an email, whatever works for you. Well, thank you, Malachi. I I learned a lot, and now I want to visit some more national parks, I think. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot to see and a lot to explore. All right, you guys, that concludes the interview with Malachi. I am going to include all of the links to his social media and his blog in the description for this episode. If you'd like to reach out to me or suggest a topic for a future episode, you can find me on Instagram at runawaytogether.co. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next week.